Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 460. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hello, Noah. It's good to connect with you again back in Grand Forks. How's the studio holding up after the big scale event? Back in my native land. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, Frank from Nextcloud joins us. After a bit of controversy, Nextcloud did some security scans, found some vulnerable instances, and people weren't too happy about how they got notified. Frank comes on to tell us what was going on, what they might do different in the future, and the bigger problem that open source projects are dealing with here. Then in the news segment, we'll talk about the new Firefox getting rid of the Netscape plugin API, what GNOME users need to do, and who actually still has a little backdoor access. You'll probably never guess, I'm sure. Then later on, we'll talk about Chrome OS doubling Linux's market share in the U.S. and what that could mean. Libre Boots got a call out towards AMD's new Ryzen chips. We'll get to the feedback, tell you all the great things. But before all of that, Noah, you know what we've got? We got the picks! Right here at the beginning of the show, like it's always been. What's the big deal? Nobody thinks differently. Yeah, in fact, we're going to start with our Linux pick, which I threw in here just for you. It comes from uh, Computer Planet, I think is the company's name, and they're introducing the Gemini PDA. It is a crowdfunder. It's already funded, though, so I feel like it's okay to talk about. The Gemini runs Linux, and it is a keyboard, QWERTY keyboard-type personal PDA device Full-fledged, nice high-resolution screen, 4G Wi-Fi connectivity if you want it, fits in your pocket. It's called the Gemini PDA, starting at $350. They've raised $446,000 on the Indiegogo. That's 223% beyond their $200,000 goal. It's got an integrated keyboard that, that I think is, looks actually pretty usable. We'll go more into this in a second. It's got a metal clamshell design. It runs Android as well as Linux. It has a ultra-wide touchscreen and a double-sized battery that provides unbelievable battery life. So let me play a little bit of their promo video, and then I'll tell you about the specs, Noah. This is your kind of rig, dude. At Planet Computers, we are passionate about typing, writing, being productive, creating on the go. Since the introduction of touchscreen mobile phones and tablets, we feel that it is very difficult to type on these types of devices. We decided to reinvent the palm-sized keyboard mobile device that will benefit many who miss using the keyboard on the move. Look at that thing. From bloggers Look and how creatives that, that need to constantly write, professionals who need to read and write email, create and edit documents and spreadsheets. Hi, I'm Martin Rudiford. Uh, I'm a founder of Therefore, which is a London-based design consultancy. And we, in the past, have made a reputation from designing uh, a lot of handheld electronic equipment, including Scion PDAs uh, in the 90s. PDAs are personal digital assistants. Bizarrely, they've sort of dropped out of fashion. We have always been um, strong proponents for this kind of uh, device. We feel it's time 
to bring it to the market again because so many people, they say, why isn't there a product like this now? I feel like you're one of those people now. Yes, I'm one of those people. I've asked that question about a half dozen times on this show alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, the, the thing is like, all this, this, this kind of thing, like being able to sit and type, how many times have you pulled your phone out and you know, you, you look at a conversation, you're like, oh, this is something more that I'm willing to have on my phone. The yes, amount of times that I've had to wait good point. Get home, and then I start thinking about the fact that when I had like my 70 CT libretto, which was basically this device, except it ran windows 3.1 or I 95. Or but when, when I had, when I had that thing, I never once pulled that out of my pocket and went, I have to wait till I get home to get to my oh, real totally. computer. Well, that, yeah. that was my real computer. So if I could have this, that would be great. The problem is I keep seeing the promise of projects like this, I just never see one that I can actually right. order, buy, have in my hands. Right. So that's why, that's why, dear Noah, I went with uh, this guy. Because we've talked about other ones. In fact, there's ones use and, I, right. use and Eyes has discussed over Telegram that we haven't even covered on air because it didn't seem like they had a good shot. Planet right. Computer has a history of designing other PDAs in the past. It's an established company. It's already exceeded its funding goal. And they have a couple of things here that I really like. I, I don't know if you have the video feed up in front of you there, but if you see the way this thing folds out, it has this little metal pouch that uh, is, it doesn't look bad. I pouch makes it sound bad, but it, it helps add to a kickstand essentially that's built into the case. And I gotta say, Noah, this damn thing looks like it's um, no bigger than my Nexus 6P in the pocket. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's absolutely perfect. And and the the thing is like. There are so many times having used because I, I used I don't know if you remember but the the HP 100 LX and then later the HP 200 LX. <laughs> no, was, I don't have those was, memorized. Sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were tiny. There, you should look them up if you get a chance. They're pretty cool. They, it was a small little palm sized computer about that size back in the 90s, and it ran DOS. Oh, okay. And so you could run all of your actual DOS applications right on this device. And so like people in the chat room are saying, well, it might be hard to 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 type with one hand, or it might be hard to. to it wasn't. I, I can tell you from experience, it wasn't. You can pull that thing out and it was very usable holding it in, in your hands and you you type with your thumbs or if you set it down you would you could touch type um you just had to be you know a little cautious of you know how you were doing it but it was it was a fantastic device and the the, <clears throat> the design was great and the, the the design of the touchscreen was supposed to add to that and instead it replaced it and so we got rid of physical keyboards yeah so it has uh it has a uh, two weeks of standby time because they've crammed a ton of battery into this thing wow 12 hours of talk time. And by the way, I believe these numbers because they've already picked uh, their CPU, their GPU, and their main board. So they And they already have a working prototype. So I think these numbers could be within real, reality. Um, they say that it uh, has a 5.7-inch color, high-resolution, ultra-wide screen. You can get just Wi-Fi model if you want, or you can get a Wi-Fi with 4G, which I think that would probably be best if you could. 400-gram yep. weight, dual-side-mounted speakers. Love that. USC, USB-C... <laughs> Connectors to keyboards, external screens, mice, charging cables, all of that. Uh, also an SD card slot, which has a cover over it. It uh, it looks essentially like they've taken a small 5.7-inch uh, phone touchscreen and mounted it to a QWERTY system here. But it looks really, really usable. And the it's clamshell, incredible. I like the clamshell design. I like that. It's incredible. Give me a terminal, give me an email client, and give me Telegram. Right. And this, this is the perfect device for me. This could be the best SSH uh, server or a client, I'm sorry, in your pocket. Yeah. So the resolution of the screen is 2880 by 1440 with a 564 oh. PPI. So it's gorgeous. It's got a DecaCore uh, chipset. It has a, a wow, okay, get ready for this. This is incredible. Uh, both models, Wi-Fi or uh, Wi-Fi with 4G, have the same CPU. A two- 
4-core Cortex-A72 processor running at 2.5 gigahertz, a 4-core Cortex-A53 processor running at 2 gigahertz, and a 4-core Cortex-A53 running at 1.55 gigahertz. That's a lot of cores. Uh, the GPU is the ARM Mali 850 megahertz. It's got four gigabytes of RAM, 16, or I'm sorry, 64 gigabytes of internal storage, a five megapixel front-facing camera. They say the the speakers are high quality and the microphone is good. It's got 802.11n and AT, uh, I'm sorry, AC support. It has assisted GPS in that chipset, so you can get navigation, all of that stuff. It's got a removable battery, an 800 milliamp. Again, that might also contribute to that battery life estimate. 800, or I'm sorry, 8,000 milliamp hour battery. Wow. Okay, so it's your $349. Would you buy the Android version or the Linux version? Because obviously the temptation... You can, you can do both on either way. It can even dual boot Android and Linux together. Wow. Yeah. So it says here it'll support Linux as a secondary boot option, which provides Linux users with a rich set of open source applications. They haven't chosen the distro yet. In fact, I'll get to that. They say they aim to raise $200,000 for their crowdfunding campaign. They've exceeded that. They have a fully functioning physical model of the device with a MediaTek uh, Hilo X25 processor and a Mali GPU. All Gemini units claimed as perks will have at least $200,000 I'm sorry, $200 off the planned retail price, and they expect deliveries to start in November of 2017 only to backers. But when it comes to the Linux, they say... Uh, uh, I can't remember, but they're asking people for their input on, on, on Linux. Here it is. We're currently talking to a few companies representing different Linux flavors, and we're considering a number of options, but the decision has not been taken yet. Uh, we're also talk, taking into a, a, a comments from our backers, and, and a lot of them are saying Sailfish and Ubuntu OS. I kind of just wish they wouldn't even nail it down that far, but uh, just let me pick. If, yeah, well, but if they're gonna sh if they're gonna ship or they're gonna you know they're gonna support or they're going to you know test on something, if I were right, them, right. I would I would seriously look at Mate and here's why or Ubuntu Mate and here's why I say that the touch because screen? I I ran Ubuntu Mate on the on that small little Sony and it was it was a phenomenal experience. Yeah, but Unity it's a high TPI display. Unity with touch might be better. I don't know. Yeah, that that'd be that'd be interesting to try different ones. I, yeah, I guess I used Unity on the on the surface, and it worked really well too. I think there's a couple of big caveats. So we've talked up a lot about this, just because this is a type of device that both you and I would really like to have. Noah probably more so mm -hmm. than me, but I would really love a device like this as well. But there are some risks still if you're going to back this. So we should talk about those. Um, they don't they don't really have any scale here. They have a functioning physical model. They have identified a number of their suppliers and the components they're going to use, but they don't necessarily have like huge contracts in place to secure those. And this is probably the big one. They say they're currently identifying manufacturing and assembly partners they hope to assemble in the UK. But if the economics read, when the economics don't work out, they would be up for going outside the UK, aka probably China. So they haven't got a manufacturing partner yet. They don't even have a manufacturing country yet. But they do have a physical model they've built. They do have a history in this realm. And they do seem to have uh, all of the key components figured out that they would use. The screen, the main board, the CPU, the GPU, the battery. They seem to have it. So if they can get the manufacturing part, which is sometimes the most difficult for these projects, they might have a real device here. What would you pay, honestly, Noah? Honestly. I mean, think Five, about like... Five, six hundred bucks? You'd, I think Easy. you'd pay more than that. I think you would pay I, more. I would. I'm, so, I'm talking right off the bat, like, without thinking, with hearing nothing more, just that video, I'd drop 500 If it was for sale right now, I'd spend five, six hundred dollars for that. 
if if they if they came out and and it, it you know it got a little backing behind it or it it had a couple of reviews and a couple of people had tried it or something yeah that I definitely pay more than that because it can essentially replace a laptop from eighty five percent of what I yes. do on my laptop yes and if you can have built in four uh, uh, G connectivity then it's right. uh, it's like the go to machine for looking stuff up really quick we're gonna get to our conversation with Frank in a moment but first let's talk about a way you can do your own hosted cloud stuff as a digital ocean wow this is perfect I run NextCloud on DigitalOcean. I bet uh, no over there does too knowing how he rolls. Yeah, yeah. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up a server on their fantastic infrastructure. You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and they have pricing plans at only $5 a month. All Linux, SSDs for all of the storage. They have block storage you can attach up to like 16 terabytes, and all of that is SSD-backed. So stuff is super fast. And they have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. It's nice because you can pick something close to you or even kind of close to your users and take advantage of the speed improvements when you're in that area. They also have what's got to be an interface from the future. They got into DeLorean. They came back. And like how Marty had uh, Marty got his hands on the uh, playbook of how sports events were going to go, which, spoiler alert, sorry, Biff steals it, makes some bets, ends up becoming president of the United States. Turns out that all actually happened, and DigitalOcean could have gone that route, but instead, they just brought back hints for building a great interface and a really straightforward API. Different strategy, different play for sure, different results, but we benefit. And if you use our promo code, here's the thing, it's all one word, smush it together, you get a $10 credit. After you create your account at DigitalOcean, you apply, here's the thing, you're rolling in the money. It's like Biff money. Well, it's a $10 credit. But when they got rigs at $5 a month, runs for two, two months for free, or get a $0.03 cents an hour rig with two gigs of RAM, a two-core processor, a 40-gigabyte SSD, and three terabytes of transfer. And they got rigs that go up to like 200 and something gigs of RAM. A great interface, a straightforward API. Check them out. They have a really great system with lots of easy-to-deploy droplets. Their droplets are their Vinax for a Linux server that you can spin up in seconds, either just a base Linux install or something with an entire application stack. They have a load balancer system now that's integrated in with a DigitalOcean dashboard. They have floating IPs to make you look like a real boss. DNS management from within the dashboard. Private networking that doesn't count against your transfer. They got it all. DigitalOcean.com. Just use our promo code. Here's the thing. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Linux Action Show 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 Show. Did you see that O'Reilly's Auto Parts is now selling flux capacitors? Oh yeah, but they're like totally fake, dude. They don't actually make you no, travel through real, time. Dude. Nope, sorry, man. No, no, no. Sorry. I know. I tried it. I tried it. I... I'm just telling you that's not what the description on their site says. Man, I plugged it into my car. I went up to 88 miles per hour. I did not you travel through time. That doesn't work on a Dodge Ram. Oh. That's Thanks. Rum. So Noah loves the cloud, but hates the cloud at the same time, right? I mean, that's fair. Like, you, there's things you like about it, but if you could have it your way, you'd take the stuff that's on the cloud and you would save it offline and get it get over your local network or direct access. Don't need it on the cloud, but you're not opposed to taking it from the cloud. Like, uh, so okay, just a <laughs> this guy over here, this maniac, he watches YouTube. He even follows my vlog, but he doesn't watch it on YouTube. He has no, bash scripts that YouTube DL everything, put That's it on his right. file server, and then he watches it offline. That's right. But I tack F it, so it's, it's nice, good quality. MP4. Good. Thank you. I appreciate no that. I put a lot of work into the encoding. Now, here's the thing, though. Uh, I, on the other hand, don't find that to be worth my while. But there is something where maybe you and I could agree on. What about taking an offline, browsable, searchable, easily customizable archive of all of your tweets, 
It's called TweetNest, and it does just that. It creates a dashboard that gives you all kinds of information. You can back up your feed. You can get all the media off of there, which is, if you think about that, that could be really interesting. And it gives you a nice report, an overview report of your, your account, your activity. It's called TweetNest. You can find it at pongsocket.com slash TweetNest or just look in the show notes. It's a PHP server-side application that you set up on your own system or like a droplet or something like that. You connect it to your Twitter account and it sucks in all of your Twitter information all the time and uh, stores it for you, archives it for you, and uh, gives you a database to look through and pull your own metrics out of. Now, some of us listening hate Twitter. And some of us listening have to use Twitter either, either because A, we choose to and like it, or B, because it's beneficial to our business. Like Noah has an Alta Speed account. We have at Jupiter Signal. It, there are benefits to businesses. It's great to let people know when we're live, give people announcements about shows. But and it's people all, expect it. It's also once you once you establish a Twitter following, it's a good way to take in input and metrics, mm-hmm. see what people like to retweet, see what people have favorited, see what people have content people have engaged in, so you get a sense of what that audience likes. And TweetNest could also be a way for businesses or people that are just interested in that kind of stuff to kind of get a little oversight on some of that without having to sign up for these data privacy stealing uh, systems that you associate with your Twitter account once and then they have hose access to your Twitter feed forever and can even tweet as you. And it it just looks like a nice piece of software altogether. I think this is kind of neat too. Um, You can use it as a Twitter viewer itself. And it can, it can have view modes where you can look at all of the thumbnails of media, of like photos and videos that have been posted in your timeline for the day and just display it all to you in one view, which is kind of a neat thing too. So check it out. It's called TweetNest. I thought, I don't know, you don't seem too jazzed up, but I thought this is something. Well, anything that I can do to get away from your cloudy type, uh, you know, stuff, I, th- I think is, is, is good. My, my, my cloudy type stuff. Your cloudy stuff. Yeah. Good. That's no, good. That's good. Listen, this is what's going to happen. I'm telling you, Linux Fest Northwest. We're going to wind up with the cloud challenge. I'll even I'll even give you a little exemption for because so I, 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 do I know you I know you can't live without the cloud. I don't think I could. I don't think I could. I don't think I could. <laughs> I know that. See, I got I have things I haven't told you yet because I don't know how you're going to react. So I'm going to wait till you're here in person. And yeah, I know. I can I can only guess. You're, I'm going to get there and you'll be like, listen, I'd love to get off the cloud. But see, I now that I know you're watching the vlog, uh, I don't see. I thought I thought you were way behind on the vlog, so I thought I could talk about some of the stuff on the vlog and you wouldn't find out. But now that I know, I don't know if I can talk about it. I mean, I got to wait till you're here. So. <sighs> Anyways, we should move on. That's not what people are listening for. So we've been uh, doing a distro spotlight, which I'm not feeling. I'm just not feeling the distro spotlight. Uh, but it's been nice to give some distributions attention. But nobody's submitting distros. Ain't nobody submitting. People don't care. I don't think anybody's trying these distros after we cover them. It's just a. Tra- it's been a train wreck. I thought it'd be fun, and it's been a tra- what. It, what it comes down to is dumb Chris searching the web for a couple of hours every single week looking for a distro we haven't talked about, and then I don't get any response from anybody, and nobody submits anything. So this might be our last distribution pick for a while. I don't know. It's on the chopping block, Noah. It's on the chop. Unless you got a few up your sleeve. But I thought I'd give a little love to something that I don't know if we've ever reviewed on this show. So this seemed like the perfect opportunity to talk about it. The Neptune Linux distribution. They have a new ISO that was released for March. It brings the latest and greatest version of Plasma 5. It includes Plasma 585, which is Together with the desktop fixes for contextual menus, as well as Dolphin 16.12.2, Kadian Live 16.12.12, whatever it is, and Chromium 56. It all sits on top of the uh, LTS 4.9.12 Linux kernel. But here's the thing that grabbed my attention. 
if you want to roll low memory, which actually I think Plasma Desktop actually is surprisingly low memory usage, but if you want to roll low memory, they've also included the comeback of the low memory mode for Neptune, and it runs on Enlightenment DR16, which this could just be a fun way to, to mess around with Enlightenment DR16. And I think it's kind of, I like the idea of a distribution saying, hey, do you just want us to go all the way we can, floor to the metal, you boom, pedal to the metal, whatever it's called, pedal to the floor, like we'll go all out, try to make this as low memory usage as possible. Here's a desktop environment. Here's a set of applications to use. We call it the low memory mode. And what a great use for enlightenment. So it's called Neptune OS. I don't think we've ever reviewed it, Noah. Have you ever? No, that, no, that actually looks kind of cool. Yeah. All right. You see what I'm talking about? How that just totally fell flat. Now we're done. You see why I don't want to do distros anymore? You see what I'm talking about a little bit? You have to do the trick to doing distro reviews. We have to throw out all the rules, and it has to go to just like distros that are like that are that are that are cool. And yeah, I don't think those are made anymore. Weird. I don't think those are made anymore. I think Linux distros have gotten boring. Sorry, dude. Really? Yeah, the most exciting distros we have are the ones we talk about. I mean, I, I've been looking. I don't. I don't know. I'm not getting all that excited. Hey, but you know what is exciting? Screw them with the live time. Everybody loves it when we do that. Next week, the show will be live at Thursday uh, because uh, there's going to be some traveling coming up. So we're going to record. We've already got, like, the main segment done, and I got a little chance to look at it today. Noah put it together over the weekend. Did you use Linux to edit that, by the way, Noah? Unbelievable. Just remarkable. Is really, that really a question? Really, really good. I'm really looking forward to So if you can join us, we're going to be live on a Thursday, probably around 3 Pacific. How does that work for you? Because that's, like, what? Yeah. Five. I'm on Pacific time next week, actually. I'll be in L.A. You're going to do the show live from L.A.? Yeah. On Thursday? Yeah. I thought yeah. you were going to be... I leave in three days. I leave in two days. I leave oh on Tuesday. Oh, my gosh. No, All right. You're, and you're good with that. You're good with that. You can make that? Okay. For sure. All right. Well, that'll be easy. So we'll probably do it 3 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday. Uh, and uh, we already have the show planned. It's going to be super good. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But before we go, so I wanted to make that mention. So that's so you guys know. Before we jump to the, uh, the Frank thing... Also, just really, really, really last chance. If you have a great distro, if you if you submit like the best distro you ever for a distro pick, well, it doesn't have to be that great, but a really good one. We'll do one more week of it. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Get a distro in there you think it's going to – something I'm really going to want to download and try and something other people we tell would want to download and try. Really go all in. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. We'll do the last one if we get a good one. And we'll do we'll end on a bang. Does that sound like a good way to go out? Sounds like a okay, great so idea. Okay, so that's the plan. So there's a couple things, bits of business you need to know about. New live time just for next week on Thursday. Go to uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for that. And if you got a killer distro, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. All right, with the picks all done, let's go chat with Frank. This week there was a bit of controversy brewing around the NextCloud project when people started discovering their machines, their NextCloud instances, were getting scanned by an organization connected to Nextcloud. And there was, it started all over the internet. There was forum posts over at Nextcloud saying, someone is scanning my Nextcloud instances. What's happening here? Including a post of the uh, HTTP log that showed a get request for slash own cloud slash status.php slash Nextcloud slash status.php, essentially doing version checks. It escalated from there when people started getting letters from their ISPs notifying them that they were out of date and needed to update their NextCloud instances. People were shocked. They didn't even know their ISP knew that they ran NextCloud, and all of a sudden they were getting notified they needed to update. Then the Reddit rage started. People started digging into the letters they'd gotten from their ISPs. People started attributing malice or motivation to the NextCloud project. 
And that's when it started to get under into my radar. I started getting notes and emails in from listeners about, in fact, I got a couple of people forward me the letters they received from their ISP. People were genuinely upset. I got, I got notices from people that said, I didn't even want my ISP to know I had NextCloud, and now I have to shut it down. So it, it started to spin a little bit out of control, and I thought the best thing we could do is bring Frank on. He leads the NextCloud project, and let's just hear it directly from the horse's mouth on what's going on. So before we get into that, I want to thank Linux Academy for making this segment even possible. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to support this show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. Check out their self-paced in-depth video courses, their hands-on scenario-based labs that spin up on demand, instructor mentoring whenever you get stuck in a... Community stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Try out their practice exams. The little nuggets, little sparkly bits of wisdom. You just deep dive into a singular topic. In fact, speaking of that, I follow Linux Academy on Twitter, LinuxAcademy.com on Twitter. And uh, I didn't realize this because I've always, I've always done either like an Ubuntu version or Debian or even Red Hat just to channel Noah a little bit. But they also have OpenSUSE available as one of the uh, six personal uh, Linux Academy lab servers you can spin up. So this is a, such a nice part of Linux Academy. You're digging into a piece of courseware. Instead of just reading the theory, they'll actually spin up an instance that you can SSH into in real time. And that holds true even when you're learning like AWS stuff. And they've got great Azure and OpenStack courseware as well with a vibrant community, note cards that get forked by that community, a course schedule that allows you to pick a time frame, stick with that and work around your busy schedule, and study guides like lesson audio and personal notebooks that you can download and take with you. And when you're on the go, they have iOS and Android apps as well. It's an amazing platform that's getting better all of the time with real human beings that help you out when you need it. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, support this show, keep us on the air, and sign up for a free seven-day trial at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. So let's dig into this whole story with NextCloud. Frank joins us right now to talk about all of this. It's about 8 p.m. where Frank is at. Frank, welcome back to the Linux Action Show. Thanks a lot. Great to be back. Frank, it's good to have you. So why don't we jump in? I wanted to talk about this whole story, uh, and I thought maybe we'd start with the NextCloud Security Scanner project, because I saw this was announced on March 6th, uh, nextcloud.com slash blog, and it says the headline is NextCloud releases a security scanner to help protect private clouds. And it's a, I believe it's like a URL that uh, NextCloud users can go to, plug in the URL of their NextCloud instance, and it's essentially a server-side scan to check for remote vulnerabilities. Do I have that all right so far? Um, that's correct. That's correct. I mean, scan is a bit relative. Basically, all it does, it checks the version of the instance it finds there. So it doesn't actually tries to um, like find the vulnerabilities itself, but we'll check this against the database that we have like from OnCloud and NextCloud, which has like the vulnerabilities attached to the version. So yes, but that's what we do. Yes, so you can basically type in the URL of your instance, and then you get like a result if this is right. And you get you get like a unique URL. Is that how it works? It gives you the results of how your scan with that can basically tell you you know you're running this version, you're likely out of date, uh, you could be impacted by such as such uh, vulnerabilities. That all right. that all seems to that all seems to be actually a pretty nice service. In fact, I I think the folks over at OwnCloud are even kind of going to uh, hustling to implement something similar on their side. Yeah. And it's I was looking at this. It says while developing the security security scanner, we had a look at the state of security private cloud servers online. Many administrators might not be aware of how easy it is to get a list of servers on the web. 
uh, we quickly realized a very large percentage of those were insecure. Many hundreds of servers had such severe vulnerabilities they could be taken over entirely. Data from thousands can be downloaded trivially, and tens of thousands are more vulnerable with only a little bit of work on part of the attacker, like obtaining or sharing a leak. About two-thirds of the servers we found were vulnerable, with an estimated 200 to 300,000 servers out there. That extrapolates to a large security number. We didn't feel any better when we looked at specific URLs, seeing political parties, hospitals, universities, large corporation governments, and uh, all kinds of insecure servers. Now, this is the part that I think has been hitting people a little bit by surprise. We alerted security organizations in various countries, like the BSI in Germany and Switch in Switzerland, and discussed what to do. They decided to reach out to users with a personal warning, including the results of the scan. Now, it looks like in some cases, the way that uh, these organizations reached out was via the user's ISP. So a home user might have gotten a note from their ISP saying, hey, bro, you need to update your NextCloud instance. And that kind of people being privacy conscious, people that are maybe on NextCloud because they're so privacy conscious, that kind of got some people freaked out. So can you break down what happened here, Frank? <laughs> yeah, maybe I should start at the very beginning a bit. So, sure. um so uh, first of all, I appreciate that we have this conversation here, but because this is actually a little bit complex and, and, and complicated, so it's really good to discuss this in person. It's better to describe it like, on Twitter or on a sure. blog post. So um, the thing is that obviously when I founded OwnCloud and then later NextCloud, the whole thing of it is like to ha have something which is secure and protects the privacy of the people and so on. So security is always like the, the, the core of everything. And the thing is, with every um, application that is on the internet, usually the OwnCloud NextCloud installations are connected to the internet. Um, of course, you have to make sure that all the code is always up to date, the configuration is right, and so on. This is some of the criticisms we heard like, from the very beginning, like, what do, you, what, what do you mean you're more secure than Dropbox? Dropbox has all these security experts that take care of the configuration and SSL setup and so on. Um, but um, and this is of course true. I mean, they are, of course they care about how the setup is configured. But the point of Nextcloud is that it can run on your infrastructure where you, where you want it to be. But the, the the drawback of that is of course that you also have to you have the responsibility to keep your code and your setup and everything your configuration up to date. That's unfortunately how it is. So we want to make it as easy as possible to 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 do that. So from the very beginning, um, like we had a very active community um, security team, and from the very beginning, we did a lot of things to try to um, enable the admin to keep the instance really secure. So, for example, on the admin page on Nextcloud, you get some red warnings if the installation itself detects that it's not configured optimally. Or we also send out notifications to the admins where we say, hey, look, there's a new version available, please update, and so on and so on. And sure. also the updating, the updating is like something we want to make super easy, like mm. um, yes, this um, command line update and the web update and so on. Yeah, I want to talk about updates. Actually, I think yeah. I think we could make this into a broader conversation about uh, the responsibility of open source projects, especially ones that are more cloud focused and how hard or how easy it can yeah. be to update. But I want to I want to talk about one thing you mentioned there. Sure. So it sounds like essentially what the intention behind this was was. Uh, there could be a lot of instances out there that don't realize how vulnerable they are by simply being a version or two behind because they might not uh, appreciate the scope of the vulnerabilities. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so. What do you think about people who say, 
Well, I, you know, NextCloud version X just nailed this one thing. So amazing. That's my sweet spot. I love it. I never want to update. And open source gives me the freedom to stay out of date, to be insecure if that's what I choose to do. It's open source. Um, but uh, but then telling my ISP that I'm that I'm running insecure software seems like like that would sort of exactly be the kind of thing that would stamp on the people that have that opinion's uh, enthusiasm about an open source project. It seems like exactly the kind of thing that they're not going to want to have happen. I choose intentionally to be out of date, and now my ISP is yelling at me. Do you think that's a a very large use case? And B are, is Nextcloud perhaps comfortable saying, well, that's not really the user base we're looking for. Boy, there are so many questions. Um, so many things to say. Yeah. So first of all, um, we don't just answer the Lancet backwards. So we don't do any statements like we don't care about this user base or something. That's not what we do. So when if someone runs our software, we really care about the security and safetyness of that. We're not saying like, oh, if this user wants to be hacked, then bad luck. Because if they okay. later want to get, this is not, not good. So we want to make a software which is always secure and safe and protects the privacy. That's what we do. And about like the notifications from the, from the ISPs and, and, and from us, I think I'm sure we can get, we get back to this later. I, I think this is a classic case of don't shoot the messenger. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's the fault of the of the um, internet service provider or of this um, governance organizations like the BSI or even us, if you send out notifications, we say, hey, we saw that this instance is not really secure. You should really strongly consider to update it. I mean, this is just a service. We don't touch anything on the server, right? We don't do anything. Also, like in the scanning itself, we only check the version number, as we said in the beginning, so we don't touch anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's but essentially like an HTTP Git, right? It's a you're connecting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So on cloud, next cloud, there is the status PHP file that's publicly accessible from the internet. You can access this, and then you get like the version number back. And um, and and considering that, and I, I assume like ninety nine point nine percent of all users don't manually somehow backcode security fixes themselves. This is really mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. common. We assume that okay, it is really this version which is reported. Enough is there version, is there an element is, though of uh, conserving or preventing damage to the Nextcloud brand? Because if you can proactively keep Nextcloud users, and this is kind of where I'm going with this. So here's my thought: if you can proactively keep Nextcloud users more up to date, that's better for the Nextcloud brand in the sense that there's not huge stories about. 10,000 NextCloud users exposed to remote vulnerability, which seems to me could have been a motivation behind developing a product like that. Sure. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't like it if the NextCloud brand is, is, is damaged in, in the way you were described. But sure. I really have to repeat, it's really about like securing the users and securing security sure. instances. I mean, this is when, why I started this from the very beginning to right. make in it fact, more secure and private. You've also, like, you've also had some, you know, I don't know, I, some, some really great points in the past, I'll say. And I've agreed with you very much about the issue with uh, distribution packaging and how some distributions that run way behind upstream and repackage can be uh, unintentionally just de by default installing versions of, in the past it was own cloud, but now next cloud that are vulnerable simply because they're a version or two behind because the package maintainers are a version two behind. So I know this has been a, a personal fight of yours for a while and that's kind of why I want to talk more about updates. Is it possible, Frank, to um, to sort of have your cake and eat it too with something like this and, and structure the next cloud project in such a way that eventually it could just be Chrome-style updates, just it gets upgraded in the background and the users don't really get affected by it and don't really know? 
Um, that's a good point. Because the thing, the struggle we have here, this is nothing that we somehow invented or that's really specific for OwnCloud or NextCloud or other. This is really something that is like the case for lots of other software. And the way yes. usually, the way, I mean, you can look, for example, at WordPress. WordPress is a right. great example. They had they were ex in a very similar situation like a few years ago, or I don't know, five, six, seven, eight. Really, Frank, it would seem any major web-facing project like this is going to be vulnerable to a project. I mean, WordPress, but anything, any any big. Exactly. So, so in WordPress, I mean, like in the past, WordPress was very famous for being like a, a basically a gigantic security problem. And WordPress is usually used for personal blogging or websites, which are, I mean, bad if they're hacked, but it's not critical. But if, like something like Nextcloud, you have like all your personal data in it. This is way worse. So really you want to don't get hacked. And WordPress, I think at the end of the day, they also started similar that we how we started making updating easier and sent out warnings, notifications and so on. But at the end of the day, they implemented like an automatic update over the internet where like critical security fixes are like applied automatically to remote servers. And this is actually something I really would love to, to discuss with you guys, what you think about this, because in one way, we might have to do the same here if this, is, uh, if this initiative is not successful. On the other hand, if, if people complain about just getting a warning from the ISP that they should update the software, what do they think about the, update, the software updates themselves? And another, well, I, point, another point is when you said like um, the Debian packages. I don't want to restart the whole discussion yeah, again. Yeah. But the thing with the Debian packages was not only that they packaged in basically a very old version, which was no longer maintained, but they also patched out um, our notification that a new version right. is available. Right. So usually you get like in the header notification, yeah. a new version is available, please update. Not People that one. never saw this. Yeah. No, did you want it to take the other part of that? Yeah, well, I just, you know, as far as what would people think, I think that um, really what it comes down to is most, like, I'm one of those people that, that tends to shy away from updating. And it's not because I don't want to be secure, right? It's not because I don't want my data secure. It's sure. because I'm concerned about the other ramifications about upgrading Absolutely. that software. And so if we could get to a point where, uh, you know, we were where you could be 100% comfortable that, yeah, we can roll these upgrades out and it's not going to break anything. Yes. Um, if, if, we, if you got to that point, I think nobody would care. I don't think anyone minds if those yeah. security updates get applied in the background. But I, I spent actually uh, in, my, in my day job, we actually just uh, somebody upgraded their, their, uh, their next cloud instance and, and, and the, the next cloud instance broke. And and so they contacted us and, and hired us to come in and, and, and fix it. Um, and it was uh, some PHP version issues that, that we had to sort through. But when stuff like that happens, if that happened in the background, I would be furious, right? If I just woke up and all of a sudden I can't get to any of my yeah. data and my servers and syncing and I look back and, oh, it's because an update got pushed and I didn't have any choice in it. And now it broke my yeah. install or right, it broke right. this customization I did. That's where I see it being a real exactly. problem. So I, I completely understand. I mean, no one wants to never change a running system, right? I completely understand. I mean, everybody understands this. Who is who was a sysadmin for some time? I was a sysadmin for some time, so I never updated it on the first day. <laughs> of course not. But um, I think there are different kinds of updates. And if you look at Linux distributions, if you look like Ubuntu, for example, there is like the major version, and then there are like just patches that apply to the to the version. Or there's an LTS release, for example, LTS version, and then this is like supported for some time, I don't know, for some years. And mm. during these years, just like security fixes and updates up, are That's an are interesting applied. idea. And then you don't have to jump to um, every single major version immediately, right? I wouldn't do this myself. Like right. it's all kind of software. I mean, 
I would be busy with updating all my devices all the time if I would do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm lazy, of course. But important bug fixes for the current major version, not to the next major version, this may be... That's an interesting idea. And, and automatically yeah. updated, maybe. You know, I, I think too, Carl, the thing too, you know, so I like that. You have the, the major version where where things that are minor updates after that could get automatically applied, and then the next major version would be a manual update. But we also... You know, we're going to be we're going to be living in a time now where a lot of servers are live patching their kernel either through Canonical's mechanism or Red Hat's mechanism, and I wonder if maybe acceptance of up, real time updating will get broader. As long as I think the uh, the 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 project doesn't get a get a history for breakage, that's really going to be the key thing. And one of the things I was thinking about to prevent that would be something like uh, when it comes to live patch, Canonical doesn't just push out the patch, the six, the fix to every server at once. They do a really staged rollout, just like Google does with Android updates. And I wonder if NextCloud could, if there was a technology built to slowly roll out the updates, you might find that then you yep. would very early catch stuff, and you could be maybe more aggressive in the update if you could do Actually, a staged rollout. Yeah, actually, we did we did this already like a few weeks ago, except the auto updating. But the way like new versions are advertised to the user and that update button shows up, we we changed it lately to enable like this stage rollout. Cool. And of course, we have these channels. We have these channels where you can, for example, go to the beta channel or to a release candidate channel or to a stable channel, and and also and then you can basically decide how fast you get the updates and if you get them a little bit slower or faster. And and of course, as you said, the staged the stage rollout. This is something we can already do. But as I said, only for the advertisement of the new version, basically. I actually think we don't do hot hot patching. That makes sense. And I think if you could really nail auto updates, somebody like myself would be even more inclined to use Nextcloud for more instances. Because I actually just thought about this while we were talking about this before I deploy a Nextcloud instance. I do the internal math, like, okay, what is it that I want from Nextcloud? Is it is it really just file sync? Well, if I if I'm primarily just going to use file sync, I would prefer to use something else, simply because then I don't ever have to worry about when it's time to upgrade the Nextcloud server. Because I just don't want to be that guy that has a four or five old versions behind on Nextcloud of Nextcloud running on my DigitalOcean droplet. I I don't want to be that person, and I know that I just don't really have enough time or attention. To, to update a lot of those. So I actually only have, even though I could use it more, I only have one NextCloud server right now for myself personally because that's the only one I'm dedicated enough to keep on top of an update. And I find myself using other solutions if I need just calendar or if I need just documents or if I need just file sync, I'm, I'm going in other directions to avoid having to manage a server specifically with having to update it. Because managing NextCloud is simple. It's, it's easy. It's great. I've done it tons of times. But just having one more thing that I have to keep track of to update and then check on after I update it, and it's it's somewhat related to really important data, I, I kind of shy away from it. If I knew I could install NextCloud and it was essentially, and again, I want it flawlessly, updating as much as possible, I think I would be more inclined to deploy more NextCloud instances. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the design goal from, from NextCloud from the very beginning to make everything that's possible to do automatic to also do it automatic. I, I mean, that. this is the very, very goal. I mean, you can see this with a lot of things we do in the background, like handling our caches or handling our whatever kind of background stuff. So we try to basically make it like automatic and seamless as much as possible. So of course, the next step would be to also do the same for automatic patching. But uh, a question to you guys, if I may. So you said at the very beginning that some people didn't like to be um, contacted by the ISPs 
um, um, about this. Do you think people would accept live patching? Because I think what what we did at the moment, we just worked together with some organization to send out notification emails like, look, your instance is vulnerable. I, I, I saw this only yeah. as like a nice live service. I, I, I suspect, you know, from the people I've heard from, it's people that they probably didn't even want someone out there knowing that they had a NextCloud instance. They And they maybe they were unaware of how easy it is to scan and detect, but maybe they didn't want their ISP. I got, I got one note from somebody who also got in trouble for the ISP because they're not supposed to be self-hosting, so they had to shut their system down. So there were some unintended consequences yeah, in that regard. Unfortunate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, could kind of, I don't know if it's, they, were, they were anti-updates as much as they, those particular people just didn't like that mechanism for getting mm. notified. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's hard, yeah, though, yeah. to get it because if it's just like a if it's an update light in the dashboard of Nextcloud, somebody might just ignore that for a while. So it's hard to strike the balance of something that's going to actually get them to wake up and say, hey, I've got data on this. I need to update it. I understand the battle there. Yeah, it is. It is. And maybe maybe um, add something to the very first point of the discussion. Um, what we found with the scanning, basically, um, like, basically, I mean, scanning, first of all, right? I mean, it's not possible to find all the Angular NextCloud instances on the internet. It's mm-hmm. not possible. But what we did, we basically looked for 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 a path that is likely like slash cloud or slash slash NextCloud or something like that. Mm. And then we, we we tried to see if something is there, and if something is there, we checked like the version. Just basically that's checking that's like a block did. of IPs, just this block, exactly. and just check this path. All, all we did. This is like not very sophisticated. I'm sure every serious hacker in the world is like has more sophisticated tools than that. Honestly, it sounds like, based on your blog post, it was kind of in the process of developing this tool in the first place. You're like, well, let's test it out and try this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is like, I mean, it was, like I said at the beginning, we we, we were always aware that, okay, self-hosting, good, but you you need to update. We always, I mean, I always knew that not everybody updates all the time. I mean, we try to like blog about it's it. It's shocking though when you see it, right? But, <laughs> but, but, but then, exactly, that's exactly the point. Like a few weeks before, like, like um, we actually checked this and did just basically for fun, right? Like just see if we can find out how many instances are out right. there which are not updated. And then we saw it. And also, if you then connect this to the uh, to the domain names that you can see, then you can see, oh, wow, these are not like only home users. And not only because I don't care about home users, I do, but also like big organizations, political parties, and like government organizations in a lot of countries all over the world. Uh, and we were like, oh, shit, like this is this is serious. Here. Right, yeah. Also, also the amount, if you just like, I mean, some security problems like, yeah, maybe if you have an account on an instance, then you can get admin privileges, which is not good, but it's not horrible. But there are problems like from remote, where you can basically from remote read every single file on the machine or do remote code execution on on these instances. Mm. I mean, this is really bad. And we basically found out that there are like about about over 20,000 instances out there where you can do remote code execution or reading every single file of every user on this instance. Right. And this is really, this is seriously bad. And we thought about, okay, what, what can we do? What can we do? And then we decided to do this initiative here. I actually, I can, I can completely picture that. And I, I almost, if it was me creating the product too, I'd almost feel like, well, what have I done in some sense? Because these people are using my software or the software I've created to try to give people control over their data, better privacy. And 
it's like a it's like a, a sophisticated tool that they're not using improperly, and they're they could be potentially about to chop their hands off. I, I, I could yeah. I could definitely understand that oh shit moment you must have had when you saw all of these instances, and those are huge numbers too. And you're not even checking like the entire United States or all. It's just like checking a few blocks of IPs, and you see that. I just, exactly. whew, yeah. 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 yeah, and this is like this leads to this whole discussion, which I think is a good discussion because we need to have this anyways. And maybe, maybe we will do live patching in the future. I mean, if you you guys also think, and maybe obviously we will ask our whole community. Yeah, it's something. I mean, it's something that's got. It seems like it does some, seem like something you guys are going to be struggling with for a bit, and maybe Nextcloud will end up leading here in a solution because it's like you said earlier, it's not a Nextcloud. In fact, you 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 guys in some ways are taking heat for something that a lot of other projects are just not talking about. I think <laughs> that's a bit yeah yeah I, yes I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit it's a bit funny. I mean, especially if you if you look at I don't know there's some if it's packaged for some Linux distribution and and basically they have this policy that they always backport fixes and they ha and you have the latest version installed. Then by default it has to be secure. And then if you if you go to a person and say, look, what you installed is actually not secure, then it's often this shooting the messenger situation. Do you like, find this 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 I mean it's like Nextcloud's now at a size and a scale where these kinds of things get a whole different level of attention and a whole different life of their own. So you, you start with a project, you're building an internal security scanner, you point it at some things to verify how it works, you discover something, you have an oh shit moment, we have a responsibility here. Well, what's our best option? If we do direct mail to people, it's going to seem like we're marketing to them, which is going to come off more like a next cloud versus own cloud thing. Because some of these IPs, obviously, you're detecting are also own cloud instances. So that's going to seem like you're trying to poach own cloud users. So, okay, can't do the direct email marketing. Well, a Twitter campaign, that's going to get one, maybe 0.5% attention of the people that are using these instances. Okay, Twitter campaign's out. Well, uh, all right. Well, what do we do here? And even, you know, this is a this is like a there's a no winnable situation. So I can completely yeah. see it. How would you do it differently now? Now that you kind of now that you look at it in the whole the broader picture and go, okay, obviously the project's at a size now where sometimes these things get misinterpreted. What would you do differently if you could cast a magic wand at this point? Yeah. Just go back quickly before I answer the question to your point to explain a little bit how this actually worked. Maybe you have a very technical audience here, so maybe this is interesting. Sure. So um, um, if you basically go through a blog of IP addresses and then you see if there is behind this, this like an, an, an Nextcloud server or something, or behind slash NC is Nextcloud server, something like that, and then you find something. What what can you do then? You can do nothing because there's no actually there's not really an email address attached to an IP address. Right. Right. We can't like just send a notification out there. And of course, Nextcloud doesn't have a system where the instance or the user is somehow registered. So we don't know who is using this. We just don't know. Now we there, we know there is an IP address. So what? Nothing more we can do. So and but there is actually in some countries. Like um, I know it that it exists in uh, in 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 in, the, in in England and and in Great Britain and in the Germany and in Switzerland and Austria and quite some others. There are some some government organizations who are uh, basically um, basically feel feel to be responsible for the security of IT infrastructure in general. And um, we talk with those guys, and they are actually. Um, contact then the ISPs because well with with a who is lookup you can find out the ISP and then the ISP basically um, um, can then um, if they want to some don't want to but some want can send out notifications to their customer because they actually know who their customers of the IP address are 
So we don't know who these people are. We didn't send any marketing email or something out there. We we couldn't even do it because we don't know the, not, don't know even the names, which is good because we want to protect the privacy. But this is how this whole notification system worked. So right. Just, the just best the, you could just, do just, is you yeah. could you could hire you could hire an intern for a summer to go through and resolve IPs to d- domain names and then track down through their who is info. Or, I mean, it's like this, that's a no win scenario. That's that's absolutely not going to happen. So I I I, I kind of grok the logic. So are you saying maybe that would be the approach you'd take again? Um, I think I think we would do it again. I think we would explain it maybe a little bit better in the beginning what exactly happened. Um, we were a little bit bound from the timing perspective because in the security community there are some best practices about um, how far, um, when uh, basically you should disclose which information when. For example, when we worked together with the BSI in Germany, um, the, um, the government organization who was responsible for this kind of security the infrastructure, they actually asked us um, that they want to send out the notification emails. And only like, um, I think, three weeks later, we were allowed to blog about it. Wow. Oh, to give people time, I suppose. To give people time, yes. I wanted to give people time to basically notify them again, to say, look, this instance is not secure. Please update. And they have three weeks of time. And then three weeks later, we were basically allowed to say what actually is happening. In the meantime, people already came to us and say, hey... I got this mail. What's going on here? Yeah. You know, this was a bit unfortunate from a timing perspective. Okay, that makes sense. Frank, you know, what surprises me about all of this is that the ISPs gave a damn to begin with, that the BSI was willing to work with you guys. And I got I got a p- few people forwarded me, like, the letters that people got. And, you know, honestly, Frank, after I read them, what I, what I was struck with is it almost feels like these organizations are starting to give a shit about the Internet of Things and security vulnerabilities and how the home-connected con- devices could be used in greater attacks. And so when, when somebody was willing to work with them and supply them with the information, they kind of jumped at the opportunity to try to put something into action because it does feel like maybe they're actually waking up to this problem, but it's just not fully set up yet. Did, did you grok that they were, wi- they were fairly – well, I don't know if excited is the right word, but anxious to work with you guys on this? Because that seemed like in their letters – like that was sort of their goal was Internet of Things can cause greater problems and NextCloud might be something that sort of falls in this category. So let's go all in. Good question. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we got like super positive feedback from from those guys. I mean, all I mean, we were really happy that they took this like serious and that they worked with us and then sent out the notifications and everything. So I think that, that they understood this. I mean, it seems like two, three years ago, they would have might not even understood what you were talking about. Yes. I mean, one angle is, of course, and also some journalists came to us from, from, from the, the Spiegel, for example, and some other um, bigger publications here. Um, and they came to us because um, it's interesting because IT security nowadays is like um, there's more awareness there, which is good. I mean, uh, for example, there are elections coming up in Germany. And in some other company, uh, countries in the European Union, in the next few months, right? And like on our list of 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 um, insecure um, insecure um, instances that we found, um, there were some political parties on it. Right? I was going to ask you if you think the political climate also attributed to the escalation of this. Yeah, I think I think um, it has something to do with it. I'm th- I think people understand that like IT security is is really important nowadays. It's not like 20 years ago where, I don't know, when my personal website was hacked, so what? 
Right. It just took Hillary Clinton losing the U.S. election and then people started to notice. I understand. (laughs) If I'm hacked now, then my my complete life is hacked. And not even if if I'm a company, then my company is like completely hacked, right? Right. IT is everything nowadays. And and, and the same with uh, politicians, yes. Yeah, and like you mentioned in the post, you know, you saw some some government uh, offices that were using Nextcloud too, which is when you're talking yeah. elections, that's that's something to keep in mind. Well, yeah, Frank, yeah. I am I am supremely interested interested to see how Nextcloud solves this problem and uh, I know that you and I have had offline conversations about the gr- the greater problem here, so I'm I, I I truly believe you guys are probably the right folks to be working on this. So, I'll be keeping my Nextcloud instance up to date. Is there anything else you want to add uh, before we run? No, no, no. I mean, um, I mean, we will probably in the next few days, or I don't know, tomorrow probably, on our forum open a thread. I mean, just this conversation basically um, uh, motivated me to maybe start a bigger conversation. What we can do as a next step that we don't have to do this again, right? And then send out notification emails that like, but so that instances are maybe patched automatically. And we will um, start a conversation with our community. And everybody who is listening to it, please feel free to come up with suggestions or proposals and say, don't do this or do something else or you suck overall. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but just give, give feedback what we can do because we take this very seriously. And there is no easy solution. Right. Uh, but if you have any ideas, then, then work with us and I'm sure we can, we can move this forward. Excellent. Well, Frank, thank you so much for coming on the show, even though it's late over there, explaining all of this to us. Keep up the great work and maybe, just maybe, we'll see you at Linux Fest Northwest this year. I hope so. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting. Go to last.ting.com, get $25 off a device or a plan, but also keep us going and support the show and let Ting know you heard about it here. Last.ting.com. Simple, easy mobile that makes sense. You just pay for what you use, and it's $6 a month. I heard a commercial this weekend that was for $22 a line. Just $22 a line. (laughs) <laughs> it's unbelievable. I'm like, I have all of these use cases where I do not need hundreds of minutes, gigabytes of data, and thousands of texts. Like, for example, I was just talking to Noah on the pre-show about setting up a line so that my kids can call me, and I don't need them to have pretty much anything on that. 22 bucks a month for two, and it'd be two lines is crazy. Ting is so much simpler. You just pay for what you use, and it's $6 for the line. You got one line, $6. You got 20 lines, $6. You just pay for what you use. It's a really easy, clear, simple-to-use dashboard. Fantastic, radically different customer service when you need it. You get to talk to a real human being. They have CDMA and GSM services, depending on what works better in your area and what you might already have in your collection. That's one way I got started. I'm actually on Ting GSM now for over a year. I started on Ting CDMA network. I just brought an Evo 4G. This is a while ago. So I had the Evo 4G, and I brought it over to Ting just to see what it would be like, just to kind of get a sense. This is before they were an advertiser, just to kind of get a sense of what it would be like. And then I discovered, oh, well, this is everything I had before for a way better price and tons more freedom. And I switched, and I just went all in. And when I moved over, because I brought a device, even a low-end device, you can get a credit with our system. Go to last.ting.com. You get $25 in service credit. Well, guess what? Average Ting bill for a line is like 23 bucks after you pay for the line and your usage. Average rate's $23. So a $25 service credit, it definitely paid for more than my first month, and it might pay for more than your first month and plus some. It was great. This is uh, 
Now with both networks, this is a big deal because they can get over 80% of devices that exist already. They give you great controls, apps on your phone or your tablet, or just a nice web UI that works on pretty much any device. Check them out. Go to last.ting.com to sign up. You can click on what would you save to see if it applies to you. If you got like a tablet, something for myself, uh, I, I often am flying a, a DJI Phantom drone. And there's certain functionality that if you don't have assisted GPS, you won't get certain like follow me functions. But if you don't have an active data line, even though it's not using data when you're flying the drone in the cellular sense, it does use data to check to see if you're authorized to fly in that area. And if you're in a restricted area, you can't fly unless you have data access. This is a great use for Ting. I have, a, I have a GSM SIM in a tablet that I use for flying. And when it needs to check in, which is like 100 kilobytes of data, right? It's no big deal. It just checks in over the GSM network, says, okay, yep, Chris is registered. He's good to go. He's done his FCC registration, all that crap. He can fly or FAA, whatever it is. Uh, and uh, that's a really simple use case for Ting. And there was no way I'd want to pay 22 bucks a month for that. Also for myself, I just don't make a lot of phone calls. It's just great for that. They have a giveaway going on right now, a Ting Swag giveaway for 2017. It's open until March 20th. So find out more at the blog. Just a little extra thing too. Start by going to last.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring this here Linux Action Show. Last.ting.com. All right, Mr. Noah, are you ready to jump into these news stories here? I am. So Ryzen's been getting a lot of attention recently, and LibreBoot is jumping on that bandwagon to call for AMD to release source code and specs on the new Ryzen platforms. They write, recently in the Libre project, we've been informed about the new Ryzen platforms being released and sold by AMD. They're currently taking input from the community. Here's ways you can contact them to let them know that you demand Libre hardware. They start with a Reddit thread, then they go to some Twitter feeds... And then, <laughs> I was kind of surprised, in big, bold text, AMD's CEO, Lisa Su, can be contacted directly via email. Here's her email address. I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, as documented in the Libre facts section, AMD is currently uncooperative in the Libre software movement. Specifically, it releases non-free binary-only firmware for its platform, along with tyrant technologies like the AMD platform security processor. Uh, we in the LibreBoot project call on AMD to release the source code and start cooperating upstream with CoreBoot and LibreCore for its new Ryzen platform and existing Zen platforms. This includes source code for all initialization firmware, which is typically referred to as BIOS, <laughs> and uh, in particular, the AMD platform security processor to allow the free Libre community to use all AMD hardware. I, I, I read this and I thought this is coming across extremely strong. At the same time, if AMD did this, like if they just really went all in on this, they could become in, in, in six months the de facto hardware for open source enthusiasts. So I kind of love the idea, even though it comes across a little strong in this post. You, you, do you think so? I, I, I just, I wonder when the last time anyone cared about AMD, seriously cared about AMD, there was a time when they were the more cost, they were the, they were the hacker's choice and, and you would use them if you were willing to, you know, if you wanted to tweak stuff and, and play with stuff. But, you know, lately, Intel's Intel's and really Nvidia's own worst enemy is is themselves. <laughs> and so I, I wonder, is AMD really that relevant anymore? Except for maybe, you know, the very, very low end uh, you know, entry level processors and stuff like that. A lot of those are still AMD. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, like they write here, they say, just imagine what would happen if AMD started to produce cheap, affordable Libre hardware to the point where Libre Boot could start supporting newer systems from AMD. The possibilities are endless, they say. 
people would jump towards AMD and AMD sales would go through the roof. Well, I think you might be under or overestimating, I should say, the user base. Yeah. But uh, while in the Libre hardware community, we would finally have systems for manufacturer that cares about our freedoms. Yeah, I, I agree with all of this. I don't know if if it, it, enticing people to email the CEO is the best play. It seems a little like harassment. Mm-hmm. But I'm really curious to see where this does kind of go from the sense of Ryzen does seem to be a, like a pretty great platform. We're not just talking about drivers here. We're also talking about the BIOS for the firmware and this, obviously, this uh, UEFI. Yeah, that and also the stuff that UEFI needs and this platform security processor that uh, apparently sounds like some horseshit that I don't, I don't really know why. Well, I don't know what that thing does, but I don't like the name of it. All right, let's move on. I just wanted to bring that up because I thought this whole Ryzen story is there's a mm. bigger story here. And so we're kind of covering that, uh, that larger story. Firefox 52 has been released. It adds something really cool, but also removes something that we've had for a really long time. Among the new features in Firefox 52 is the support for WebAssembly. We just had a great conversation about that on Coda Radio last week. Mozilla describes it as an emerging standard that brings near-native performance to web-based games, apps, and software libraries without the use of plugins. Now, the reason why they've shipped this in Firefox 52 is because at the same time, they've also released, I'm sorry, I should say they've dropped, the Netscape plugin API. This is how traditional plugins worked in Netscape and then later on in Firefox. And this is how things like Adobe Flash operated, but it's also how things like the GNOME extension site worked. In fact, anybody who's been on like Anagross with Chrome or Chromium will find that they often have to use Firefox to be able to install new extensions because it just doesn't work in Chrome. Um, now, the one thing that will continue to work in uh, Firefox, despite the deprecation of the Netscape plugin API, is Flash. I don't know why, but for some reason, Netscape, I'm sorry, Firefox is leaving the Netscape API in, in the sense that they're allowing the Flash plugin to continue to use it. So other plugins can't, but the Flash plugin can. So it's like the code's still there, but it's just not available to anybody but Flash. How does that strike you? Um, I think that we continue to cling to <laughs> to to technology that we all hate for some reason, which is uh, which is somewhat infuriating. If you think about it, why has Flash lasted as long as it has? That, that you know, that's the first question that's irritating. But the second thing is, I think that I, I, I question if Mozilla is focusing on the right areas. Um, how does this affect the things like, for instance, the extensions in, in GNOME? How am I going to be able to install those? Because that's a really convenient thing, being able to go to extensions.gnome.org, click on the thing, the button, and all of a sudden it just it's, it asks me one time if I want to allow that site to function, and I click yes. That functionality doesn't exist in Chrome. Brown, that I got you. I got links in the show notes to talk about how you can still do it. Uh, here's a quick plug for those of you on Chrome or Chromium. There is a GNOME shell integration extension that allows you to install plugins using Chrome and Chromium. And there's something similar for Firefox, which I have linked in the show notes. So it's still going to be possible. just requires some workarounds now. And all and all of the previous plugins that worked in Firefox? Not that I used them. I didn't really use a whole lot of add-ons. Mm, yeah, no, no plugins for you. No plugins for you. No, no. Yeah. However, WebAssembly is going to be a thing someday, when, especially when Chrome ships support for it in WebKit. Hmm. So okay. I hope uh, hope if you're a Firefox user, you didn't rely too heavily on extensions or add-ons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, in some ways, I'm, I'm, I feel like this is this is uh, Firefox willing to kick some ass and say, all right, we're 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 modernizing and we're going to pick up the pace. We're going to get electrolysis in here. We're going to get WebAssembly in here. 
We're going to drop Netscape plugin API that's from like freaking a decade ago. Like in some ways, this feels like you got to crack some eggs. And I feel like this is probably the path they have to take to get to a browser that I actually want to use on a daily basis. So I'm not all that. I understand where they're going with this. It, it, uh, I think it's probably a good move. The only thing I take issue with is uh, the flash thing. It just seems a little odd to me to, to make an exception for what has historically been one of the most vulnerable pieces of software in web history. Right. But yeah, you know, what can I say? JBLive.tv uses flash. So I guess it's good for us. You know, have you ever thought about updating that to HTML5? Huh. You know, like a WebM kind of stream or something? Maybe I could yeah. use AugV. Hmm. Should I use AugV? AugV. I'll That'd use Fior with Opus. How about that? Sweet. So, That'd be great. Opus. Uh, this right, is at the side. kind of along the same lines. Chrome OS has doubled, yes, ladies and gentlemen, doubled the market share of regular good old traditional Linux in the US of A. Chrome OS usage is up 50% compared to the previous year. That's actually, I think, the real story here. 50% increase in the last year with the thin client OS at the height now of usage at 2.02% on the internet, beating out Linux. Um, I get, there's some good news in there too, but holy crap, Noah, 50%. What are you deploying Chromebooks for all your clients? No, no. In fact, I actually, I went the other way. I took a, a company that was completely on Chrome OS and moved them, you know, onto Linux. But the thing is, it provides a very cost-effective, easy to, to navigate structure with built-in management function that we haven't seen since the likes of the Windows 2000 era. When, when, when we first went from, when you had these people that were on Novell and the first time they went to a Windows system and, and you could sit there with a graphical interface and just add these computers and you could reset passwords and all this stuff from a central management console and now that same kind of functionality is available and google gives it to you if you just buy yeah. this hardware which by the way is subsidized mm -hmm. it's a really hard that's a and you know the, the thing is and they have because uh, i just sat in on a on a migration uh, phone call with google um with a client i, I was listening to kind of how they pitch this stuff yeah they have, they have, they have worked with it, manufacturers. They have these cameras that go inside yes. of conference rooms. I was just what I was just going to talk about. Yep. I go mean, ahead. Keep going. It is so, and and essentially the way it works is like let's say you have three different offices. Yeah. You buy these cameras, which are heavily subsidized, so yep. they're like two, three hundred dollars, and they connect to a, you know a television screen in this conference room. And from any office, once you are given the appropriate permissions. I can, from another office, mm -hmm. say, okay, we're going to go ahead and conference in our uh, Seattle office, and I click a button, yeah. and boom, the camera comes on, yep. it turns the TV on, it changes yep. the HDMI input, yep. it connects the, everyone, and automatically dials on the conference phone, Polycom phone that's sitting yep. on the table, yep. calls up and connects us that way, so has automatic mute when one person isn't talking. They've productized, they've productized Hangouts for the enterprise in a way that is, it's essentially the same plumbing, but just a totally rebranded experience. And the other mm -hmm. thing, too, like, if so if they have a TV in the conference room, this is what I was going to talk about if they have a tv in the conference room that does this when they're not in an active conference call it pulls that room's calendar from the google calendar that they have with google enterprise and it displays like who has the room registered and and mm -hmm. you can you can then use that when it's your turn to have the conference room you can use their stuff to display your google slides on that screen remotely mm -hmm. so there's there's no more like projector hookup trying to figure out if you have the right adapter for uh you Joe's MacBook when he comes in. You with can his, screencast your own computer yeah. right up. Well, anybody stuff. that takes part in the conference, so you what you do is right. you can put your you can put your PC in the conference, and then you mm -hmm. just do the remote screen capture and put it right up there on the screen and show your slide deck. It's super mm -hmm. straightforward. So they're getting they're getting a ton of traction with this in in business, but also in schools, like for school district right. board meetings and stuff like that. And then you combine Chromebooks, which are really kind of the ideal solution. They're basically burners. 
burner mm-hmm. laptops. My son's mm-hmm. entire second grade has one. They have right. They have these entire carts that are designed where the laptops go in at the end of the day and they mm-hmm. charge automatically. Mm-hmm. They can do inventory with this damn thing. They can reflash them overnight. They have connectivity. Mm-hmm. They're all and it's all on wheels. And they can push it from room to room. Mm-hmm. And then they open up the sides and the and the students just take out all the Chromebooks and mm-hmm. they go to work. You have to look at it from the school's perspective too, because I worked with a I worked with the with an education system that was that was looking at this. We contacted Google and I said, you know, because I'd worked with them at Google for Enterprise, and I said, you know, how much is it to get that say, you know the G Suite? How much is it to get that you know for education? Do you guys offer a discount? And they said, yes, sir, we do. I said, oh, what's the education discount? And they said, oh, it's free. Everything's free. And you have to think about this from a, from an education perspective, and the, the you know the 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 marketing ability to go into an educator and say, listen, if you prov- we will give you the tools for free for your students, and the great thing is we saw a fifty percent uptick in 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 commercial industry, and so when those students graduate and they're going into the marketplace, the marketplace is shifting from Microsoft Office and Outlook to G Suite amazing, and huh? G Docs, you it's know, amazing. and now they they're getting all of this experience. They know how to use Hangouts. They know how to they know how to edit documents in the cloud, how to deal with collaborative editing. All of that, all of those skills are being taught at a very young age, and it transitions right into the business place. And the, the the really ingenious thing from Google's perspective is, if you don't have the money to do any of this, all you really lose is the management council. Everything else is available just by signing up for a Gmail yeah. account. The the so. the economics as somebody who's who worked for many years for a school district the economics are too good for these types of uh, structures to pass up so uh, <laughs> the 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 cheap disposable cost of the laptops this is what drove the e triple pc in schools this is right. what's driven like a lot of gateway sales and the ruggedized computers like that is a sweet price point for school districts the management aspect where they don't have to put in a whole bunch of servers and infrastructure and pay a whole lot right. of IT staff to run it is another huge economic savings for them. And then mm-hmm. you get office suite software that's available for the students and the or employees, if it's a business, on-premises mm-hmm. and at home, and they don't have to worry about thumb drives passing viruses or sending right. emails back and forth. So it's just it's almost impossible for them to pass it up. Mm-hmm. That's why things like Nextcloud, honestly, I think are so damn important. Uh, but it's not mm-hmm. all bad news for us Linux purists. Uh, the same data shows an uptick in Linux usage in the U.S. as well. Uh, now, this, of course, is different people have different numbers, so you got to keep all of this in perspective. But it shows Linux rising from 1.32% in February 2016 to 1.47% in February of 2017. Now, the nice thing about that, those numbers aren't going to blow anybody away. However, that's like the fourth data point I've seen now in covering the news that show different levels of growth in the U.S. for 2017. They don't all agree on the amount or the number, but all of them show growth. So I take that to be a good sign. Things that are uh, maybe not great, uh, quite as rosy for Google's OS. Across the pond in Europe, Chrome OS accounts for less than 0.5% of internet traffic. Linux accounts for 2%. The Mac accounts for 12.6, and Windows, with all its various combined incarnations, 84%. Now, StatCounter says they analyze more than 15 billion page views per month across 2.5 million websites. So that's their database. You know, when I look at things of, if, if uh, am I happy about this? Am I upset about this? Should I work for this? Should I work against this? What should I look at? I guess the reality is, what can you do on a Chromebook that you can't do on a Linux box with Chrome installed? And the answer I found is practically nothing. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm not concerned about this, about this, uh, about, you know, Chromebooks kind of taking over. That's fine because it means that I will always be able to, I'll always be able to do my work on Linux box. 
Yeah, yeah. I uh, part of me is 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 happy. I, I was I was really I had this mixed reaction when I found out that Dylan's entire class, and I'm pretty sure next year my daughter Abby's entire class, all was on Chromebooks because I was, at first it's like, well, what does that mean data collection wise? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? You know, just use case lock in. But a couple of things I, I thought about later on was, well, it, it could have been a Windows 10 computer. You know, right. it could have been Windows Starter. It could have been worse. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, my son's ability to competently use his elementary OS desktop has gone up. So sure. he's able to take a lot of the skill sets that using a Chromebook every day in class has given him, and he's applying mm-hmm. it to his elementary OS desktop. It's not, like right. he, it's not like he sits down in front of a full Linux install and goes, I don't know what to do, Dad. He just well, recognizes yeah. the web browser is just one other program, and it's right. the only program he has on his Chromebook. He prefers right. his laptop to the Chromebook. And sure. I think that's, that's an interesting – so it's not like they're totally locked in. Like to him, mm-hmm. it's an upgrade. His laptop is an upgrade from the Chromebook, right. which is, I you think know, is, I, that's, that's probably the best case. I, I said this a couple of weeks ago when we were doing our Solus review is one of the things I noticed from this company that was using all Chromebooks is it reset – their expectations of what the computer did. Mm. They say they were willing to switch to Chrome OS because it had a big name and it had, you know, brand recognition and stuff. And so they were willing to say, okay, we just don't have access to windows applications. That's just something we gave up. Now we're Chrome people. And once you kind of reset that expectation and then they say, Oh, turns out I can't get all my work done with just a web browser. Then you, then you put Linux in front of them. They go, Holy crap. We have all of these other applications that are available in addition to all the work that we could have got done inside the web browser. And I think that reset is really yeah. good for us. Well, you know, you think, you know, that's what happened to my lady, right? She, uh, mm-hmm. she, she went to a practice management system that was in the web browser. And mm-hmm. when that, when that major component for her business switched to a web-based app, all of a sudden Windows was like, well, that's not, I don't need, I can go Linux. She could have right. gone Chromebooks, right? But she went with Ubuntu sure. Mate and Unity. Uh, mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's been solid for her. It's been totally fine. They, they don't have any problems because everything is, you know, set up on servers that are secured and lo- locked down to them, and they just access it in the web browser, and everybody's happy. It doesn't matter if it's a Windows 7 box or not. As long as she can scan files and things like that, she's good to go. And it wasn't, it wasn't one of these where she sat down and said, well, I'm just going to get a Chromebook instead since I don't, I don't need a Linux box. I don't need right. all this stuff. She said, well, if I, could do it on a Chrome, if I could do it on Chrome, that means I could do it on the Linux desktop using Chrome, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't I just do that? To her, it was mm-hmm. like, well, then I'll have that extra local native applications. Right. I'll have the ability to browse my file system. I'll have the ability mm-hmm. to scan applications, and I can also run Chrome. So I, I, I actually do not think, and I think that's kind of what you're saying too, is I don't actually think the spread and adoption of Chrome OS is necessarily bad for Linux because right. it, it could be like the gateway drug to, de- to a full-fledged yep. desktop Linux. Yep, I 100% believe that's the path we're on. That's pretty yep. cool. When people, they're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we'll start with this is what we need to get a work done, and when we go to when we go to expand outside of that, the expansion won't be Windows, won't be Mac, right? It'll be Linux. I hope so. All right, that's the Linux Action Show's look at the news. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Before we scoot on out of here, we got some fun feedback to get into. Some good ones. Some, some actual genuine feedback. Uh, but first, let's thank System76 for sponsoring this part of the show. System76.com is where you go to look at that new Galago Pro high DPI 13-inch bad boy with the metal design. I know. I know. I can't wait. You know what's also really popular amongst our audience is the Lemur. The Lemur. The Lemur. 13-inch. Every time I see them, they give, me, they give me crap about how we pronounce that. I hope you know that. Well, if you think about it, I mean, we say it on air more than they do. So if you just go by the volume of how much we say versus how much they say it, they write it. They write it. 
but we say it every week. The lemur. You got to just roll the tongue, dude. That's all it takes. It's not a big lemur. deal. Lemur with a seventh generation Intel processor and a fourteen point one inch display. That's nice because you got thin, lightweight. Take it with you. Super sweet system. Lots of people loving that. And then, of course, you can go figure. I mean, if you want to drool, it's up there right now. It's not ready for uh, ordering yet, but you can get updates on what it is on the new Galago Pro over at System76.com. Go get a rig built, created, designed for Linux by a company that loves Linux. It's there to support Linux and Linux users at System76.com. When you're checking out, tell them that Noah switched you to Linux. I, 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 I don't care if you already run Linux. Just tell them that for us. System76.com. Tell them that that guy right there, Noah, switched you to Linux. All right, so you want to get into L feedback this week, sure. Mr. Noah. We have uh, we have uh, two bits of feedback, and I think you should probably take the first one because it's addressed to you. Sure. So I uh, a couple of weeks ago, I began the process of dumping my Skylake machines, and uh, what that process entails is simply taking pictures of them, putting them up on eBay, and letting people buy them. And I didn't really say anything about it on the show, uh, mostly because it just didn't seem particularly relevant, and I didn't want to feel like I was using the, the the platform for my own personal gain. Um, and so I just listed it on my regular eBay account and put it up for sale. And um, my X260 that I did a review on the sh on, on this show back in July uh, sold. Uh, and I, I sent a message to the buyer and I just said, hey, uh, thanks for purchasing the laptop. And just so you know, it I will ship it out tomorrow. And uh, you know, it's, I'm going to ship it in the original box with all the original packaging and stuff like that. And if you have any questions, just let me know. What I didn't tell him was what I was going to have to do is wipe Arch off the machine. Oops, Arch off the machine and put Windows 10 on it. Um, because if you look at the at the listing photo, it's actually running in Windows 10. Even though that's showed on the screen, it's actually running inside a VirtualBox. You can see the little, you know, the little what, toolbar. Dude, why are you doing yeah. this? What's going yeah. on? This is how you yeah, sell yeah. machines on eBay. Is that what exactly? <laughs> Exactly. I'm not wiping it until I actually have to send it off. No, but why the whole so, Windows thing? That part I don't. Why do you have to put look, Windows on there? VirtualBox. Well, because the most the, the most people that are buying it are going to want the original operating system back on it, right? But if you look at the very bottom of the the screen, you can see where that little white bar is. That's the that's the tip of VirtualBox. Yeah. And it's not actually Windows, right? Yeah. And so I, I sent this out to the gentleman, and he responds back, and he says, uh, "Hey, Noah." You you guys were talking the the past week about running into last audience members in the wild, and I'm one of them. And uh, and he says I've been on the market for an X260 since you unveiled your purchase in last episode 422. <laughs> so I was shocked and excited to see a, a a great priced one that came fully equipped with the WAN port and wasn't a 720p display, and it belonged to you. So I'm happy to be buying it. Even more happy to escape the four gig soldered RAM and be able to use GNS3 without uh, sweating. Please be sure to give me your impressions of the 270 if if and when you get it. I also have true request if you don't mind. Please keep the last sticker on the Windows key. So he awesome. noticed on the auction I didn't actually pull, peel the sticker off. And he says, and you don't need to bother loading Windows back on it. Uh, I'm 100% Linux here, and uh, and I would ha be happy to keep the laptop pure as the day you bought it without ever having boot booting Windows. Now, I had list the original the laptop had shipped with uh, with a 128 gig drive, and I had upgraded that drive when myself. And so I was going to pull it back out and just put the 128 in. But then it, it, it amused me so much to just leave Windows on this machine and, and hand it to the next user that I just left the bigger drive in there and shipped it to him. So <laughs> he has my Arch install on uh, on on my uh, on my X260, Damn. and it went out to a last viewer. So yeah. uh, if you want to get a sticker for a new rig, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash sticker 
stickers. You can grab one. I, there was one part of that story I just wanted. So, like, you just decide, well, the Skylake is old. I'm just going to get rid of all my Skylake systems. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I, I just didn't have a good experience with Skylake. I, oh, nothing, okay, okay. Nothing seemed to nothing seemed to be very great on Skylake. And the other thing is, as it relates to the ThinkPad anyway, the 270 has USB-C. And USB Type C charging that that alone is enough for me to upgrade. But I've dumped every Skylake thing I've had. I've just had nothing but bad luck with them, and I just it's like bad juju at this point. All right, all right. I actually, I can... kept all the same microcode. It's not actually I'm not actually solving any problems. It's the same. They've you know, but yeah, makes I, me feel better. Yeah. Uh, so Stefan writes in about the new uh, feedback or feedback on the new format because we've been kind of experimenting with rejuggling the show uh, to kind of try to make a pacing a little bit different, but also meet people's expectations when they see what the episode's titled. He says, first and foremost, uh, I love the show. Keep up the great work. In my opinion, the new format is perfect for attracting new viewers because there's nothing more disappointing on YouTube than clicking a video and having to listen through 40 minutes of random stuff before you get to the actual information that you wanted to hear about. That said, I have an idea for the show notes, and yes, I know it's a lot of work, but it'd be very convenient for the viewers, which would be timestamps for different topics in the show. Now, I like this idea, and it's something that I do on user air already. I don't know if you've noticed in the user air show notes, but I time code it. And some podcast clients will read that and actually let you, like Overcast, will let you, you know, you can, in the podcast client, you can touch the time code and it'll actually jump ahead in the player, which is really nice, kind of like YouTube does. Um, is, is, is Overcast is that just available for iOS or is that available on Android as well? No, it's not. But Pocket Cast might do it. I haven't tried it on Pocket Cast. I like okay. Pocket Cast a lot on Android. Uh, so he says, uh, he says, uh, I, he says, I don't. Uh, he says, I don't know how you publish the podcast, but I'm just saying this would be convenient. Um, I, I agree. I think the main reason we don't do it is because in order for me to do that time coding for the Linux, or I'm sorry, for user error, uh, I do it because I'm editing user error myself. So I kind of have an right. idea of where things fall in the show. But to mm-hmm. actually get the time code right, I listen back to the show one more time, which is sometimes like the fourth or fifth listening to that show. Mm-hmm. So that way I can time code the major. I mean, it is a major time investment. It is it's the only kind of thing you can do when you're not trying to publish a couple of hours. We try to get last out within a couple of hours of recording. So it's the information is irrelevant and it's available for people that are trying to make that Monday morning commute. They can get in their downloads. And the longer we push back release, the more Monday morning commuters we miss. Uh, I would So it's one of these things where I would love to do it, but I don't think our production pipeline allows for it. It's almost something we would need like a volunteer to do. Yeah. Kind of like how subtitles too. Yeah. We Just, get a lot of requests for subtitles. I almost feel like the time codes would be way more convenient than subtitles mm-hmm. for, in some regards. Um, it might be more applicable to more people. Subtitles would be nice though too. Uh, I don't so I don't know the right way to uh, crack this particular nut. But I, if you guys have an idea, I'd love to hear it. Like I know it's at some point somebody did create an open source project where you can you can supply a podcast and then you can annotate time wise, and the player will jump around and all kinds of stuff. I don't know what the answer is to this, but if somebody has an idea or if somebody wants to volunteer their time to after after last gets posted, even if you just started posting it in the subreddit and then we could take that, like if you formatted it in Markdown or something, maybe we could just figure out a way. I would love to do it. Uh, and that would be really that would be a good way. Now this week was a totally new try. It was we started with the picks to sort of warm up. We went right into the main meat of the segment. Then mm-hmm. we did news, and now we're ending on feedback. And I, what do you think of that arrangement? So we start. I like with, it because the thing is, if you're if you're looking for the main meat, you're only waiting what eight minutes, ten minutes, which I guess in YouTube land is 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 a significant investment of time. But at the same time, like it just it doesn't work well for an established show to try to just like jump in without any sort of real introduction or kind of yeah. warming up to yeah, it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
I agree. Yeah. I, I think that's a great suggestion, Stefan, time code wise. And to be honest with you, if we if we figured it out for last in a way that actually worked, we could probably do it for all of our other shows. Right now, we don't really there's not a there's not a workflow. When when we one of the things when I, when we created user air was it was sort of a chance to well let's take all the lessons we've learned and apply it to a to an audio only show and see what mm-hmm. we can do and that was one of the things that we wanted to try to do is in that particular style of editing it sort of lends itself to time annotating as well last does not doesn't mean it can't be done it just has to be done after the fact it'd be nice but the thing is is this show all of the work is done ahead of time we spend days preparing for this show and mm-hmm. then it, we sit down weeks, and sometimes. yeah, weeks and sometimes yeah, and sometimes you know some episodes like episodes to scale can represent thousands of dollars of investment for a single episode. So all of the work and time and money goes up front for an episode, and then the work afterwards. Once Noah and I are done, we we typically we hand it off to the beard and he posts it. But the show doesn't really lend itself to a lot of post work because we're generally on to the next episode as soon mm-hmm. as we get off this episode. Like we. The, the ball, this train never stops moving. So we immediately start working on the next thing. And it does that, but that means it doesn't really let, it doesn't lend itself to spending hours after a show going back and listening to it and noting it. Because the way you do that generally is you listen to it, you pause, you write down the time code, you write down a description, then you hit play, and then you wait for something else that's relevant, and you pause and you repeat. And it, it's extremely time intensive. I would love to have it though. That's a really long answer. But the reason I wanted to give it that kind of long response is because it's something I've seen mentioned four or five times with this format ex- uh, um, ex- experimentation. Mm-hmm. So I think it's probably usually if I see something come up four or five times, that usually represents it's on the mind of like a thousand people. So it's worth mentioning it. Uh, and Stefan, uh, if you have an idea more, feel free to follow up. JupiterBroadcasting.com/contact is where you go. If any of you'd like to get an email into the show or LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Mr. Colonel Linux, is there anywhere you'd like to point people to chat with you, to contact with you, to follow you, to see what you're up up and getting, doing, done, things, you know, I don't know. Yeah, Whatever I'm, you do, Noah. Whatever it is I'm, you do when I'm not talking I, to you. I'm at Colonel Linux. I'm at Colonel Linux on uh, on Twitter, but I'm also at Colonel on I'm actually I'm at Colonel Linux on Telegram too, which is there's you a couple are people crazy. That, you are crazy. <laughs> There, there's uh, there's a reason I'm bringing this up on air. There was a, a number of people that were <laughs> that were like, "Hey, I don't understand why I didn't get a chance to meet up with you at Sc- yeah, I'm still here. I'm standing. I gave my telegram out. Uh, yeah, whatever. It, it, it uh, nobody has killed me yet, um, but they they couldn't find me at scale. Just send me a telegram. I would have I would gladly. I met up with a ton of people that were JB fans, but uh, yeah. apparently I missed some of you. And I, you have my heartfelt uh, condolences. But if anyone like was like had their heart set on like uh, doing something or hanging out or whatever. I'll be back in 48 hours, so uh, hit me up on Telegram. We'll, we'll get dinner. There you go. <laughs> at Colonel Linux on Twitter or Telegram. We're also going to be meeting up in Austin, Texas at the beginning of April, and we already have a Telegram group going for that, too. I tweeted that out, a link to that a couple of days ago. You can find that on my Twitter feed, at Chris LAS. And we're just basically looking for folks in the Texas, Austin, Round Rock area that maybe want to meet up, or could, even if you're just sort of familiar with the area and want to help us plan for a meetup. We're getting all of that sort of sorted out in our Telegram group, which I don't know how to give you the URL on air because they're long and complicated, but I tweeted it a couple of days ago. And that's that's another good way. You know, we'll be in there. We'll be chatting with folks and giving people updates on the road trip down to Texas um, probably in a few weeks. So, yeah. You know, if you make it a super group, I think it's searchable. I think then you can tell people they can go look for Texas, you know, JB Texas meetup or whatever. They can oh, search it in Telegram. I really? Think. I will look into yeah. that. A super yeah. group, huh? Super Do group, I get a yeah. cape? Do I 
<laughs> no, you just get to you get a. I think you get to be the owner of the supergroup, so that's kind of cool. Mm. But uh, okay, no cape. So I'm yeah. kind of like a supergroup owner. Yeah, that's yeah. like not being a superhero, but being the owner of a supergroup, a, a like group of supergroup super master. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You can also follow the network at Jupiter Signal for like announcements, show releases. Don't forget, we'll be live on Thursday next week, just for next week. Get live times at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Topics, open source projects, a killer distro that we could feature in our last distro pick, news stories that you think we should talk about, or just your insights on those stories, all appreciated over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. All right. We love you. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll give you a hug right back here next week. That's what I'd say. I'd say do the picks, then I'd say do the meat, then I'd say do the news. Damn it, Noah. Damn it. What? Damn it. Well, I was all set up for other shit, dude. That's what. Well, let's do it that way. No, then. I don't want to let's now. Do I don't want. No. No, we're going to do the picks, and I'm going to like it. <laughs> and that's just the way it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really hate when I make you do things you don't want to do. Yeah, man. God, I'm so inflexible. It's woof, dude. It's so woof. So woof over here. It's woof. You know, there's a, actually this vlogger I watched that he was. He goes through this uh, solution. Like vlogger, um, huh? Yeah, vlogger, huh? Yeah, I know. V-logger. Except for except Vlogging. for he's he's too busy. A vlogger, a vlogger. I don't call it a vlog. That's weird. That sounds weird. That's, That's what it is. video blog, video yeah, log. Yeah, it sounds log. weird when you say it like that, though. It sounds it sounds like say? you're saying the i five when you people just say the i five. The i five. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds weird when you say vlogger. It sounds weird. It just. Weird. I can't explain it. Honestly, so I got you know what? I got over smartphone. That drove me nuts for years. Smartphone. I never had, you know that's one. That's one I never had a problem with was smartphone. I never had a problem with smartphone. Really? I had a problem with I all the other me, ones. That's interesting. That drove me nuts because I came from a time where I had a, a personal palm top computer. Yeah. And we called it a palm top. I never liked it. Was. It. it was a goddamn computer in your palm. Yeah. And then I was part of it when it turned into when you had a springboard module and that turned into a phone. Yeah. So then it was a you know a PDA and a phone. Yeah. Just. Yeah. But then eventually we just. But they've we just never bugged me at the way the vlog or blog or Internet of Things or like that mm-hmm. stuff just like resonates cloud. as like a yeah cloud anything that's like super vague, mm-hmm. like I, I really bothers me. But uh, that one never really got me. Na- smartphone bo- Navi bothered me for years. I just it was like it's a goddamn I GPS. I felt like smartphone. Unit. Nav- I, f- I felt yeah. Well, I never called it a Navi. I never called it. Mm-hmm. Although I don't really like calling it a GPS either. I don't like calling it the GPS. I don't like that either. So, And you know what's worse? The people who don't know, they call it the Siri. Like I was talking to somebody, oh, well, I just told the Siri. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. Don't call it. You're calling. So I've gone from Navi to GPS to the Siri, and I just I can't. It's like Band-Aid. It's, that's the, 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 the thing that responds to me. You yeah, know? yeah, like, yeah. Siri. Yeah, the Siri. <laughs> It's, Did you hear Amazon release their own Siri? They have their own little Siri now. You yeah, pick it up. Siri in the Alexa, tube. But it's Siri. Siri in the tube. <laughs> oh, jeez. <sighs> hmm. Okay. Hmm. So what hmm. is this? Ah, okay. All right. Okay. There it is. And then when I okay, so here I'm okay. Here I'm centered, and then here I'm not centered. Hmm. Why? Why'd you move? How many times do I have to tell you to stop moving the camera? God damn it. If you'd stop opening and editing the stuff during the week, playing around with this stuff, when we're not here in front of the cameras you in the are, show. You are going to trigger me. <laughs> I'm going to get triggered. <laughs> so, like, we're sitting in, we're in Best Buy, and, like, I went to look at that new MacBook when it came out with the um, the touch bar thing, right? You're such a fanboy, dude. 
Yeah, I love Mac. What can I say? <laughs> so anyway, so I, I go in there and this, this like the Apple, like the whatever, the geek guy, geek squad, geek, whatever they call it, you know, genius bar guy. He walks out to whatever in his little white shirt with his with his Apple on. He's like, uh, is this, wait, is this Best Buy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, yeah like they have a, like they had the, an Apple employee Apple there. Center now yeah, like the in store the in the store. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Where's right. the video, so, dude? It's on your phone. What's up? Something, no, it's not on. It's not, I, I had to dump it before. I dump my phone before I go to Japan. Long story. Anyway, but they. Uh, that sounds like a user comes, topic. Hold on, let me write that down. So you went through like this whole security. Where's my thing? You went through this whole. I find something to write with. He's gonna forget. <laughs> All right, hold on, hold uh, on. Yeah. We gotta do this user error, cause dude, people are not getting off my sack. Where can now I can't. Hold on, now I, now I can't find my pen. Hold on. I can't find my pen. Where's my pen? Shit, I can't find a pen. I Chris, had a Chris, pen. Chris, 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 Chris. What? Simplenote.com. Hold on, we have a telegram thread for this. <laughs> we do have a telegram right. thread for this. Okay, so hold on. Where's the telegram thread? Oh man, it's been a while. Okay. Noah's. Noah's. Security prep. Before yeah. Tokyo, what is our what is our hashtag? Just hashtag. What do we have? Hashtag user error. All right, all right, okay. Anyways, we go have ahead. a whole channel for user error. That's like, what I know. That's about? what I'm putting the comment in. I just remember what hashtag we use for topics in that channel. Continue oh, on. Really? Okay. Anyway, so I'm standing in this genius bar or whatever, and this guy comes over and and he's you know like I, I'm like yeah I'm not actually gonna buy one. I hate Apple, but I just wanted to see what the new device was, and so. The he goes he he just walks past me doesn't realize that Sarah is married to me and he looks at her and he's like yeah so you're looking at, at a new laptop and she we were we were actually looking at a new laptop for her at the time and she's like oh, yeah yeah I'm kind of in the market for a new laptop so the guy like starts giving her Apple well then she realizes what she got into so she yeah. like tries to back out gracefully and she's like I'm I'm not I'm not going to be buying a Mac there's no way I'm buying a MacBook I'm not interested in MacBook and the guy goes why and she goes well I I use Linux and the guy goes the guy goes. This has Linux on it. And she's like, no, it, no, but this is what's great. This is what's great, right? Like that was bad enough because whatever, he's a sales guy. What does he know, right? But then my wife starts schooling the guy and she's like, actually, it doesn't actually it, it you know, technically it would be closer to the BSD kernel, but it, it but it, it just really, it's just, it's not for me. And then the guy like goes in and he's like, he's like, well, it's it's because you care about the open source stuff because the entire Mac OS is all open source. Like the entire, the entire thing, dude. The, top, the whole top thing. Top to bottom is is released or whatever. And she's like, well, then I can go download it and install it on another computer. And he goes, well, of course not. Well, if it was open source, if the source code was open, if it was available to me, then I I would be able to do that, right? And like every at every step of the way, she tries to give the guy it out, and she's like, but I, you know what? Really, it just really it just it's not for me. And then he wants to continue to bait her, and so I pull out my phone, I start taping her, like schooling this guy on software licenses. It was great. It's actually the Darwin kernel. Oh, that was fun. That is awesome. I was never never prouder of my wife than in that moment. Ah, all right. So, yes, anyway, that's good should you ever travel internationally, we can dive into this in user error. Okay. All they right. have a moral objectional content uh, restriction, and if they find morally uh, objectional content on devices, say no more. I want to know all yeah. about it in user. <laughs> so, chat room, you 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 can help me out if you see people on the internets asking like, "Hey, Chris, when's user error coming back?" or "Is user error dead?" You could just say, "Hey, they're still talking about it. It's just they travel a lot." Well, Noah. And then the beard, and then I'm traveling, so we travel a lot. Well, there you go. There you go. But anyways, this is why I'm going to go live in a cabin. Long yeah, story oh, short. that's okay. We'll just make our cabins next to each other, and then we can podcast. Nice. All right, here we go. It is the news, and if Noah's done screwing around... Three. 